0: Welcome to the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. My name is Kelly A. Turner, and I'm a PhD cancer researcher, New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope, and the founder of the Radical Remission Project. In this podcast, it is our honor to bring you inspiring healing stories directly from radical remission survivors themselves, as well as from the amazing doctors and healers they work with. As a reminder, the Radical Remission Project is not against conventional medicine, and we fully support an integrative approach to healing. Most of all, we hope that this Stories That Heal podcast will inspire and educate you along your healing journey.
1: Hello and welcome to the Stories That Heal podcast. This is Carla, and today Liz and I are excited to welcome our inspiring survivor, Justine Laidlaw. Justine's own story serves as a testament to the possibilities of healing and the importance of individualized approaches to cancer care. Upon receiving a diagnosis of an aggressive stage three colon cancer, Justine was given a poor prognosis just a 16% chance of surviving five years without conventional treatments. Yet she felt compelled to seek out an alternative strategy that could potentially improve her odds. She had surgery, but declined chemotherapy and radiation as she believed that there must be more to healing than conventional treatments alone. Through her personal exploration of the mind, body, spirit, alongside her chosen therapies, She was declared NED, no evidence of disease, two years after her diagnosis. She has remained clear for the past eight years. Motivated by her own transformative healing journey and the knowledge she gained through her research, Justine felt a calling to share her experience and insights with others facing similar challenges. She became a cancer coach and a radical remission teacher and started facilitating radical remission workshops where she provides support, education, and guidance to individuals seeking holistic approaches to cancer care. Welcome, Justine.
2: Oh, thank you, Carla. It's just such a privilege to spend this time with you and Liz as well. Um, You know, it's really neat to really connect in with other Radical Remission teachers, but you know, you reading that out made me think, wow, who is that woman? She's done something amazing, (laughs) right? And that's me. <laughs> so yeah, quite quite an incredible journey when I reflect back. And actually just last week I had a five-year follow-up colonoscopy which was completely squeaky clean so that marks me as um, 10 years since diagnosis so yeah I'm really thrilled to spend this time with you and, and share with the listeners what else you know is actually possible when we look at empowering ourselves and really trusting our intuition and and taking control of the healing journey so that's what I want to share with you today.
1: Wonderful. We can't wait
2: to hear it.
3: Yes, awesome. yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad to hear you reflect on your own, you know, hearing your own story, because a lot of times, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you can't really appreciate it as much. So hearing it culminated like that is it's really cool, too, especially because we think you're a rock star, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad that you were able to, to hear that as well. Um so what before while we get, you know, why don't we just get into it? We'll get started with, um I'm curious how you learned about radical remission. How did that come into your life?
2: Mm. yeah, it's quite interesting actually, because I'd never heard of Kelly's book until two years after my diagnosis. um with most people that you know, do get diagnosed, that usually comes into their field quite quickly because it's such so well known now. but, I had gone through my journey, and it was helping another friend who had had a prostate cancer diagnosis, and I took him over to a clinic, because I'm obviously living in New Zealand, and I took him over to a clinic, which was two hours away from my home, and I sat down there while he was having an intravenous vitamin C drip, and in this clinic, they had a library, and I saw the book, Radical Remission, I thought, wow, what's this, And I opened it up and in the first chapter, I read about the nine key healing factors at that stage. And I looked through them, I thought, wow, everything she's talking about is exactly what I did. And it was just like, geez, when I get home, I'm gonna get on her website and start learning more about her work because it just really had a calling, a deep calling for me to try and explore, well, what's what's this all about? And the crazy thing was, is my husband and I were um, right in the throes of building a house and I got an email come in my inbox from Kelly saying that she's looking for other teachers around the world and I was immediately like, that's my calling, I have to go and do this. So I was really wrapped to find there was another Kiwi um, who lived in Auckland and I made contact with her because she was keen to go as well. And so her name was Jules and we both uh, hopped on a plane and flew to New York and spent 10 days, um, you know, in the presence with Kelly and, you know, I think it was about 30 other radical remission survivors. And it was just in the most amazing, incredible experience. So that really set me off, um, you know, for the radical remission journey of helping others to explore all these beautiful healing factors that we can all implement. And I thought that's what was so amazing. It was just awesome. That's awesome. So you
1: were part of the first cohort of teachers in 2017, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It was a big group. That was that was great. So having read radical remission after the um sort of acute phase of your diagnosis, and it sounds like you were able to tick off each one of those as something that you were already doing. How did you then take it further or did you take it further? How did you continue to utilize those healing factors?
2: Well, if I reflect back to when I was first diagnosed, of course, you know, like anyone, you're thrown into so much overwhelm as to what you're going to do. And I think for me, if I can just reflect back on my story for a bit, was that my intuition spoke loud and clear right from the start. And it was to say, stop, breathe, and don't rush into any decisions. So I actually, you know, because they fill you with so much fear when you are diagnosed and they seem to see this as something that we have to rush and get sorted immediately. Now, I think that's fine if someone is in a, you know, real emergency situation. So as an example, with having colon cancer, if they were completely blocked or something, then yeah, totally, there's there's the need for an urgent surgery. But what I learned was that a lot of tumors take a heck of a long time to grow. And so to be rushed in and um, operated on immediately just didn't really feel right for me. And I knew I felt overwhelmed by the diagnosis initially, but I also just had this innate wisdom that I just needed to, as I say, stop and breathe and work out what I wanted to do. So I actually declined surgery and I gave myself three months to work out what am I gonna do? And you know what, I think that was the best thing either, because it allowed me to gather my thoughts, get a bit of a plan together, think about it, actually be really prepared for the surgery, you know, so I'd had time to work with a naturopath, time to work with an energy healer to actually calm my whole cortisol down so that I was actually really prepared. So um, as I've evolved, there's still, you know, the healing factors are still very much part of my, my lifestyle. So things like spiritual connection, as an example, wasn't something that was a deep, regular practice for me when I first was diagnosed, but it's become such a innate practice for me now. So it's really part of my ongoing well-being. But when, again, going back to when I was first diagnosed, um, my I had a really good friend who was a naturopath and herbalist and an energy healer, and. She just said to me, really trust your intuition. And one of the first things she said to me was, make sure you take the time and give yourself at least three days before you make a decision. And that was some really good um, advice for me because, you know, in the past, I'd always probably tended to rush into decisions And it really allowed me to focus and think about whether something was right. So I would use this now as a practice. I almost like put it out to the universe. Okay, universe, this is what I need to do. Show me a sign that this is the right way to do it. And often it would come up, you know, whether I'd just be walking along the beach barefoot or working in my garden or out walking my dogs, then my insight would just come in loud and clear. Yes, this is the right thing. This is the path I need to follow. So I ended up going to an integrative clinic and they were amazing. They did a lot of testing, looked at, you know, what my nutrient deficiencies were, what my toxicities were, and then where my stresses were. So at that time, my cortisol was pretty high and my energy field was completely disconnected. So we did a lot of work on, um, you know, optimizing nutrition, And taking a lot of herbs and supplements. Now, because I had colon cancer, I'd had a history of being quite constipated. And for a lot of colon cancer patients, they can actually get quite loose motions. And that can be quite a sign where they've got that sort of irritable bowel. But I never had that. But I did have the constipation. And I never had any blood in my bowel either. However, um, it was determined that I had a really lack of um, digestive enzymes. So, in particular things like pancreatic enzymes. I wasn't um, digesting my food very well. I had a lot of food intolerances and allergies. So it was a matter of working through those with my naturopath. And he was amazing. He did, as I said, did multiple sort of tests on me to establish what was ideal for me. And if we reflect on, you know, the radically changing the diet part, the big thing that came up for me was I was extremely sensitive to wheat and dairy. And, I, and in my past, I had been what I would call a sugar junkie, where mm. I just totally loved my sweet stuff. And, and every now and again, that still comes back to haunt me. <laughs> However, <laughs> over time, you know, over time, um, I've learned to look at, well, what are the natural healthy ways of satisfying my, my sweet craving? So I did radically change my diet. Now, what I find fascinating about this is when I was first diagnosed, I was told that I needed to go raw vegan, and I went raw vegan for three months, but I got sicker and sicker and sicker. My body just could not tolerate the raw food, and it would go in one door and out the back door about 14 times a day. So this is where I think we've got to take a um, bio-individualized approach, even for the diet, that there's not one right way for everyone. And it wasn't until my naturopath said to me, Justine, you're a blood type O. blood type O typically is a meat eater. And when I went back to having a little bit of um, red meat and slow-cooked and fish and chicken and lots of vegetables... My health really improved. So particularly for the healing of the gut. and and I because, you know, every cancer is a different beast, really, you know, there's this hormonal driven cancers, but colon cancers can be more bacterial driven in many cases. So it was really fascinating to understand that there's so many different dietary theories out there, and there isn't one right way for everyone. So my diet has evolved over time and I've really found now the happy balance as to what works for me um, and, and it's really difficult because if I think of people like um, Chris Walk from Crispic Cancer you know he was the same as me a stage three colon cancer and he was a great advocate of raw raw food you know fruits and veggies and juicing and So when I did that, it just totally didn't work for me. So again, it's like, you know, we can listen to all these different dietary theories, but we've got to listen to our own body. And I liken it to is is how are we feeling? You know, have we got, are we experiencing headaches? Uh, How regular is our bowels working? Are we sleeping well? And that can give us a really good indication as to which foods are working successfully for each of us.
3: Yeah, what so a great radic- lesson for the uh what a great lesson for the audience to hear that because that is I mean every cancer is different and every mm-hmm. person is different so it only makes sense that every diet would be different and supplements and you know and the right you know that's why there's no order to the radical remission factors no order of importance because that's individual to the person. So thank that's, you for sharing that.
2: Yeah, no that that's Great. I think it really is. And I'm experiencing that with, you know, the patients that I'm working with is, um, I mean, I know there's some amazing research around keto and fasting for people that are stage four, you know, to take away that um, glucose pathway by starving that, that pathway from glucose However, um, like as an example, I had a lady who has just had a cancer, a breast cancer, a diagnosis, re-diagnosis or recurrence, and she has been plant-based for a big part of her, her life and working really well, like functioning well, sleeping well. Um, however, someone suggested that she looks at doing ketogenic. And because she had been gaining a little bit of weight as well, and she went keto, she got so constipated, she felt tired. Um, So you know, this is it. It's, It's just like there isn't one way that we need to navigate this. It's really taking an individualized approach, but I would always suggest that people work with, you know, a, a nutritionalist or a dietitian that can help them navigate that. Um, but also to bring in their own intuition and their wisdom and listen to their own body. You know, I think that's really important because as we say, we are very different. Yeah, um,
1: excellent advice. Thank you for that. So um, you also had mentioned um, when we asked what were your most impactful um factors you you mentioned empowerment tell us a little bit more about how you brought empowerment into your healing journey
2: yeah well i think that's really reflective of even you know with that first reality of being diagnosed as my empowerment kicked in of like hang on a minute I've got to find a way that feels right for me even though I had a lot of resistance from family and friends that said to me oh you're just you're so stupid why aren't you going and doing you know the treatments as an example so I had to really kind of um, what's the word I would use I'd say step back from that and and hold my power and really create boundaries. So because, yeah, my wisdom really spoke. I really, really felt like I had to do this my way. That felt right. Now, I guess that's also because I'd already been through, my father had had colon cancer also, and he had said that um, he didn't want to do chemotherapy and radiation. And his oncologist um, pretty much talked him into it. Mm -hmm. And six months after his chemotherapy, his cancer was back. And unfortunately, my father being my father was very strong-willed and he was determined to do it his way. But he ended up taking his own life before the cancer took him. Mm -hmm. I guess, um, experiencing that and knowing how my dad was, my dad was always about empowerment. And so I had, I guess, um, learned that as a behavior of, you know, sticking up for yourself and doing what is right for you. So, um, I guess that really helped me. Um, yeah, I guess, I tend to be a little bit pig-headed sometimes so I was kind of which is a behavior that I've really learned but I think it really served me in terms of the empowerment. So it does take a huge amount of backbone to stand
1: up to people when you know they want you know you to follow conventional and do what they think is the right thing to do. Um, and it sounds like you had that backbone you you were pig-headed enough to do it your way. <laughs> Did you run into any of your own um, internal resistance? Was there any self-doubt?
2: I think there's always self-doubt at times, you know, because you've got a um, question or oh, am I doing the right thing? But I would always just take a breath and I'd always come back to my friends saying to me, give yourself three days, process your thoughts, think about it again, is this right or is this wrong? It's only a yes or a no, and it would keep coming back to me, yes, you're doing the right thing. So, you know, I had to explore what I was going to do. And as I said, I went to this clinic, and they opened me up to um, some new awarenesses as to what else I could do on an integrative level. Because obviously, you know, surgery is very much an integrative level. It's, you know, it's good to... um, you know, have, I basically wasn't, I wanted to keep my fingers in both camps, put it that way. So I didn't want to completely dismiss chemotherapy down the track if I felt I needed it. But I was pretty determined to look at what else I could do. And the clinic had introduced me to a few alternatives, which I, I embraced. Um, and one of them was doing intravenous ozone infusions, And at the time, post-surgery, I was really chronic fatigue. I was extremely tired. And I think that was actually also as a result of doing the raw vegan. What was fascinating was at the end of that three months of doing raw vegan, as I had my blood work done and my B12 had dropped right down and my iron levels had dropped right down. And so my hemoglobin was so low as well. So when I went in and had the intravenous ozone, The change in me was amazing. I felt like a new person. It just Mm -hmm. gave me energy that I wasn't experiencing. And once I got my B12 sorted and my iron levels right, you know, through supplementing and through nutrition, then I really felt like I was on a healing path. So it felt right. Um, They suggested that I continue doing ozone treatment, not so much with IVs, but doing it at home. So I ended up buying my own ozone generator. I also bought a far infrared sauna, and that was a huge part of the detoxification process. So what we also know is that there's a number of, you know, chemicals and toxins and parasites and bacteria that our bodies can be Um, dealing with when we have a cancer diagnosis. And so that was all part of my detoxification plan was to do the ozone therapy and the far infrared saunas. So that's been ongoing. You know, I continue to do that at home as my ongoing maintenance treatment.
1: Looking for a thoughtful, heartfelt gift for someone with cancer? The Radical Remission Project has partnered with woman-led small business Rest & Heal to create lovely care packages for you to send. They feature the Radical Remission and Radical Hope books alongside natural wellness products, all of which are non-toxic and sourced from women-owned, black-owned, and New York State businesses. We know our community is passionate about spreading the Radical Remission healing factors, and these care packages are a great way to get knowledge into the hands of those who need it most. Visit restandhealcom forward slash shop to purchase or learn more. That's restandhealcom
3: forward slash shop. Being diagnosed with a serious health challenge can be emotional and overwhelming. At Radical Remission, we believe no one needs to face a diagnosis alone. Our certified health coaches work one-on-one or in small groups to support people living with a diagnosis to integrate the 10 healing factors of radical remission. Our team of coaches include national board certified health coaches, doctors, nurses, and other medical practitioners, as well as mental health providers. Our coaches meet each person where they are on their healing journey to offer support, accountability, and goal setting in a positive manner. Check out RadicalRemission.com to find your health coach and connect with them to learn more about what it might look like to work together. See the show notes for links to find a coach on RadicalRemission.com.
2: But I was also introduced to more of the energy healing um, modalities. So I did embrace acupuncture, and I also embraced Reiki, and um, healing touch. And I've explored lots of different healing modalities over the last 10 years, but I still regularly go and see a energy healer. uh, And I also go and see a bioresonance practitioner. So that's really the healing modalities that I've done. Um, If I just go back to after my original diagnosis and after the surgery, I had a scan at the six month point And that showed that I had an enlarged lymph node full of cancer cells. Mm. And when I went back to the surgeon, they said to me, Justine, whatever you're doing is not working, your cancer's come back. You need to do chemotherapy to save your life. And, of course, that threw me back into doubt. Maybe what I was doing is not right. Maybe I do have to do chemo. But, again, I just sat back and I processed it, and I did a lot of crying because I was, you know, like, oh, my God, what's going on? Maybe it's not working, but my intuition just kept in, kept kicking in again and saying, no, trust what you are doing, trust and believe it. And that was a big one for me. My energy healer was really helping me step into a place of belief. And and when we can step into that, then the body follows.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Okay.
2: And that's what I really started um, learning more about, you know, reading the likes of Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, and listening to Joe Dispenza with his healing meditations, is that when we can start changing the mindset and the belief system and step into that place, then the physical body will fall into alignment so that's what I kept on doing and gradually as the scans that I had, um, it would show that one lymph node was gradually shrinking and there was no other spread anywhere else and, um, and I finally got, as I say, that NED at the two year mark. So I thought, right, but I'm on the right track. Now Now it's just about maintaining it really and and making sure that it doesn't come back. That That's where the, the 10 key healing factors have really embraced, you know, really helped me stay in that place of of shifting the belief, empowering myself, trusting my intuition.
3: So, yeah. Would you say that um, translates into one of your, uh, the ways that you release suppressed emotions is through those modalities?
2: Yeah, I think there's so many ways of releasing suppressed emotions. And I think for me, what I really recognized was anger was a big one for me. Um, however, what I found fascinating is my husband would always get really scared of me because when I got angry, I got angry and I would throw things and I would go out and yell and scream and he'd be like, what, what is she doing? You know, but I actually worked out that that was the best thing for me was to be able to release that tension that was building up was actually to go out and scream (laughs) and throw things. But. Throw things in a safe environment, obviously. <laughs> at him, right? <laughs> Not at him, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's if like, yeah. If I may, that reminds me when when I got my metastatic diagnosis, I went out and bought a um a Bozo the Clown punching bag. I don't know if you know Bozo <laughs> the Clown, Justine, but he's kind of creepy looking, and the punching bag has sand in the bottom, so you can punch Bozo. And make him knock you. Knock him down, and he pops right back up again. And you just keep punching Bozo. Just keep that's, punching him.
2: That's what I did. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and I think this is a really important factor. I actually feel now that I've learned so much more, I feel like the underlying root causes of cancer quite often start on the emotional, mental, spiritual level when we have become so out of alignment with ourselves and our soul. And I really feel that was huge for myself as well. If I think back to some of the um, career choices I've made, nothing has felt so in alignment as doing the work I'm doing now. Because every day it doesn't feel like work. It's I'm working from a place of love and heart and inspiring others that healing is possible. Whereas in the past I'd be sitting at my desk sometimes going, "What the heck am I doing here? This is not <laughs> right. this is not feeding my spirit or my soul at all." So I think it's something that we've all got to start listening to: is that what is the root cause of this? Sure, there's you know there, there's food and there's um, you know toxins and nutritional deficiencies, but underlying that we have got a deep beautiful spirit that wants to be on purpose. And and I feel like that has given the, I look at my cancer diagnosis as an absolute blessing now because it's allowed me or it's given me permission to change Mm -hmm. and it's allowed me to follow my truth. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So,
1: what um what would you say is the the sort of craziest nuttiest
2: thing you did for healing <laughs> that's a really good question um i guess you know for some people they don't really see um things like some of the emotional work and release work as as the norm I would say, you know, in our conventional system, it's very much on the physical body. But if we step into, you know, a holistic way, then I actually think I'll come back to one of the modalities that I explored for a little while, which was laughing yoga. Ah, yes. And to me, that was just friggin' crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. But, you know, because at the time, when I think about it, it almost felt like I had to force doing it because I didn't really feel it. Um, but over time, when I was doing it, I was like, oh, my God, you crazy woman. You're trying to drive, pretend you're driving a car and changing the gears and, you know, laughing with it. And and to me, that was pretty out there. <laughs> but it was so much fun. And it does. It just it, at the same time, it's releasing emotion. It's increasing your positive emotions. It's raising the vibration. You know, I think that's the sort of stuff that I really learned is that when we're stuck in a place of sadness or grief or fear, particularly fear, is it's a really low vibration. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't understand this until I was diagnosed that, you know, the self-healing can really kick in when we raise our vibration. And that is through laughter. It is through peace. It is through joy. So yeah, the laughing yoga was kind of like, this is just stupid. But my goodness, it's just really um, an incredible healing modality that we can all do. It's very so effective, sick. isn't it? You have to fake it till you make it. But once you start <laughs> faking it, it really does work. Yeah, it really does. And it's like that, you know, it just those feel good hormones that we start to release when we're in that space, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. Is that so something good. you still do, Justine? Um, only on my radical remission courses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not, not as a regular routine. Um, but I, I do say that with one I work in a clinic one day a week as a thermography technician. And I say to people, I don't go to work to work, I go to work to laugh. <laughs> because honestly, every lady that comes into the clinic, you know, there's a little bit of apprehension around them getting a, a breast health check. And, and I just created in a fun, light environment for them. So quite often I'll go out and the receptionist or the doctors will say, you guys are having too much fun in that room. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think laughter has been one of my medicines as well, you know, to kick into that that place. It's just beautiful. It really yeah. is. I love that. That is so great. Laughter is good
1: medicine. It's It's been proven. We know, you know, um, Norman Cousins and his books way back and yeah that's that's great Mm
2: -hmm. you also
1: had mentioned that um, strong reasons for living was was one really important factor for you tell us a little bit about that one
2: Yeah, well, you know, this is, again, very different for um, myself compared to most people because through my healing journey, you know, leading before I was even diagnosed, I didn't get the chance to have children through to a bit of a medical misadventure. So I was unable to have kids. Um, So for most people, you know, when you talk to them about what are your strong reasons for wanting to stay here, usually it comes back to children children and, and and seeing them getting married and having the experience of having grandchildren so that wasn't it for me but i actually feel like my strong reasons for live were as i was healing and knowing what i had been through and had a lot of resistance around the treatment options i was going to take I just totally knew I knew I had to help other people in my situation um, because it's very confronting if you don't get the support around you. And because I pretty much had to walk the journey by myself um, in many ways, I, you know, radical remission, I didn't know about that at that stage, you know. So I think now having support people around us, a support crew, is vitally important and so yeah it, it's just kept my intuition um kept on saying to me you know my time's not done um I'm here for a reason I have I'm here to help others so that was really my strong reason my strong reasons have evolved also since then um I'm ended up getting a, a puppy <laughs> Oh. and then I started um, then I thought oh this puppy needs some company so I had a, got another dog and then I started fostering rescue dogs oh. so that also gave me another strong reason is, is my heart is right there for the the underdog so mm-hmm. to speak those who have haven't got the a privileged life so that's been part of my strong reasons also. And and also my desire to live um, a much more simple life and be able to grow my own food. So that's been another big part of having, you know, strong reasons for wanting to be here is to have projects and plans and, and live from purpose. That's beautiful.
1: And it's so important for people to realize that, yeah, you don't have to have children or grandchildren to have a reason. There are so many. The things that that count so
2: yeah
3: oh without a doubt yeah so you mentioned the pups um and this might sound like a kind of a funny segue but I was just teaching a workshop where we talked about how animals and pets can be part of your social support. Um, And how do you feel? Do you feel that your, your dogs are part of like receiving that, you know, that snuggle and that love and, and um, enjoying them as part of your kind of social support? Absolutely.
2: You know what, even aside from the social support, what I really noticed was it Whenever I'm out with them, it keeps me so present, so Mm. in the moment that I'm not thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner or what's happening in the world. It's like I'm right here, right now, in the moment. And, you know, the beautiful thing with animals is they just give you unconditional love yes and and that's been a real lesson for me too because I've always heard the expression unconditional love you know what does that really mean but as humans my god we we don't give unconditional love we're conditional you know if you do this then you'll get your treat Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you know whatever it is so um that's what I love about being around the animals is that and, and observing them, they're just very in the moment and very present that they're, they're not worried about anything else and what's happening right here, right now. So that's been amazing. And it does, it just really raises your vibration as well with the love, uh, sometimes the frustration. <laughs> some of their their habits and behaviors but you know it's all learning and I think this whole journey is about learning about ourselves and starting to recognize you know where we have got out of balance and where we need to fill our love tank up from and love tank doesn't have to be in a partner you know there's a lot of people on their own and I think we can fill our love tank up in lots of other ways and also just to share on that even though I, I have got quite an abundant vegetable garden I also realized that I wasn't having enough um, color in my life. So I've now dedicated a big area of my garden to just growing flowers just to bring oh. in more beauty, you know, bring more insects into my garden and then been able to pick fresh flowers to bring into the home. And I think that's beautiful too. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> So Justine, we're not done yet by any means, but um, (laughs) definitely want to make sure that we have time to ask you, what would be the one piece of advice that you would offer to someone on a healing journey?
2: Yeah, I think it's really important. There's so many different aspects to this, but the one thing that comes back to me is to just stop and breathe and don't rush in making any decisions. Really, um, you know, do some research, get a second opinion. Um, there's no, to me, there's no need to rush to even have a surgery. And and then you're in a much better headspace to deal with it. I just feel like there's just too, you know, the system throws us into so much fear straight away. And that shock will just basically kick our cortisol levels up. So we're in a very overwhelmed fight or flight state and we can't logically think to make the right decision some people can right some people are like oh no i'm just going to get this out and that's fine too but that's you know this is the whole journey is to really listen and trust your own wisdom um but i would say yeah stop and breathe and and take some time before you make a rushed decision
3: yeah i love I that you um that you refer to um You know, when you talk about your surgery and the waiting and following your intuition, first of all, I have to say I love the three-day rule. I think I'm going to just start implementing that, Um, and hopefully our audience will as well. But I love that you waited the three-month period. You really—that is empowerment at its at its best. I mean, that is really you taking control of your health and really taking the opportunity to devise a plan because as you know when you first hear those words, you know, a lot of times people don't even remember the rest of the conversation with the doctor at that point. And they may be agreeing mm-hmm. to whatever the doctor's plan is for that next week. And maybe they're not ready. Maybe they will come around and do that. But I believe, you know, I follow the same theory that you do as far as like take a minute and just, you know, breathe and really think clearly about what direction you want to take before you just, you know, just go with it. Because it's un- uncharted exactly. water, right? When you when you hear the you have cancer, you're not really expecting to hear that. So it's not like mm-hmm. you go into an appointment with a bat with your plan A, B, and C already in place. So I think yeah. that's a great lesson to really share with people, you know, from, you know, take away from what you're you're talking about today is, you know, take that time, whatever that time is, whether it's three days or three months, take that time to really listen in and, and decide what it is you want to do in an educated, empowered way. From my story, Justine, um, I was blessed with
1: a um, physician's assistant um, with my first cancer diagnosis who told me, this is not a physical emergency. It's really more of a mental and emotional emergency. Mm, You don't need to rush into this. And I just, I've always looked back at that and been so thankful that she told me that because, yeah, the first thing you think is get it out of my body. Well, you know what? It took years for it to grow. Yeah. As you said earlier, there are some cases where it is an emergency and, and certainly things need to go quickly, but for a lot of us, it can it can be a three-day, three week, whatever wait to to make our mm. decision. So
2: I think it's really vitally important because we I just think of, you know, on a chemical level, what's happening in our body in that state, it's it's immediately into fight or flight, and that's stress hormones. And I quite often say to people, you know, it can take six to eight weeks to actually process the reality of your diagnosis. Anyway, mm-hmm. so and and for your fight or flight to come back down into rest and repair, and if if we could all take a bit more time to step into rest and repair, then our healing outcome can be a lot better. Also, what is your favorite way to get into rest and repair? Meditation, mm. meditation through and through for me. It's um, yeah, I and I and I do often do this in my sauna so that I'm actually you know doing two things at once but I feel like meditation is really important now it's not necessarily just listening to a guided meditation it's just stopping taking a break getting my feet on the ground going for a walk in mother nature I'm very blessed in New Zealand here I've got um, native bush right on my boundary so I can just go and connect into the bush take a breath calm myself down and um and breathe essentially yeah beautiful yeah. the other thing i'd just quickly like to share is that if we think about and i've seen this in kelly's research also around being a passive patient versus an assertive patient so if we look at that you know a passive patient is just going to say yes i'm going to do everything you tell me to do and i'll do it tomorrow but that's not empowering yourself. It's it's. I believe we have to step into empowerment. And the opposite of that is aggressive, you know, being too aggressive. And I don't think that serves us either. It's to come back into the middle and, and um, start questioning things and getting second or third opinions if we need to, so that we're really well informed and we're making a decision that's right for each of us.
1: Yeah, that's great. My husband used to call me aggressive, and I had to correct him and let him know it's assertive. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and Good and being you. active. Yes, the the research tells us that active patients have better outcomes. So mm. you know, this is where. You know, we know, we all know Kelly changed it from taking control of your health to being empowered with your health. Yeah. And and I love her analogy of just think of yourself as the CEO of your health, you sit at the head mm-hmm. of that boardroom table, and you have experts around the table with you, you listen to them, you take their opinions and their expertise, and then in the end, you're the one that makes the decision.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And at times, I think that that's such an important lesson to learn because it's so much easier to give the power to someone else and just let them tell you what to do. And it's scary to say no. And to mm. take the re- you almost, it's you then taking responsibility for the outcome, which in this situation feels really big. So it's really important to take the time to process and maybe follow that same path that you would have before. But again, taking that approach and and embodying it and making it your decision rather than having just someone tell you and you just saying, yes, there's a big difference there.
2: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that embodiment is a really nice analogy because it's... It's actually sending a message to every cell in your body that you know you're, you're on track, you're, you've got this, and and you're you're going to get into alignment with that. And so, that's I think when we look at the work of likes of Bruce Lipton, is the you know the the epigenetics and the 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 ability to change the environment and really follow the path that is right for us is part of that healing picture. It's, it's giving that message to yourselves that this is right for you. So it's beautiful. Absolutely.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Would you like to share with our audience how they can find you out in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So um,
2: because it's really funny, actually, if I just think back to my name, <laughs> I branded myself as the natural bird and that because that came from my father in many ways because he'd always call me a bir- birdie he, my nickname was birdie and it was because he reckoned i ate like a bird <laughs> <laughs> i'd only pick at my things and i'd never finish my meal so i've named my business the natural bird so the my website is thenaturalbird.co.nz and it's the same on my facebook and instagram page so that's really where i i hang out i keep it simple <laughs> yeah. And on on the Radical remission site, of course. Uh,
1: Good. Yeah, Yeah. thanks so much, Justine. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and to learn from you. And we're just so glad that you were able to make time to be on the podcast.
2: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy just to spend some time conversing with you ladies. So thank you.
3: Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to hearing what our audience has to say about this interview and and all of the contact info for you will be in the show notes so they can check it out there.
2: Beautiful. Thank you, ladies. Bye.
0: And thank you for listening to the Radical Remission Project, Stories That Heal podcast. Once again, I'm Kelly A. Turner, PhD, cancer researcher and founder of the Radical Remission Project. If you found today's episode inspiring, we encourage you to share it with anyone you think would benefit. If you'd like more information about the Radical Remission Project or would like some support bringing the 10 Radical Remission Healing Factors into your own life, visit us at RadicalRemission.com to find a certified Radical Remission health coach or to learn about an upcoming Radical Remission workshop. And if you'd like to connect with Liz or Carla directly for health coaching, you can visit RadicalRemission.com forward slash about us most importantly, be sure to like, share and please, please, please review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews are what allow us to keep finding sponsors and sponsors are what allow us to keep bringing you these podcasts. So thank you in advance for your reviews. One last thing, would you like to be on our podcast? If you're a radical remission survivor who's been in remission for at least three years meaning that you either have stable or dormant disease or perhaps even no evidence of disease. You can contact us at radicalremission.com forward slash podcast. The Stories That Heal podcast is a production of the Radical Remission Project and Cat Productions, hosted by Liz Curran and Carla mans produced by Ryan Giroux, music by Batchbug. Follow the Stories That Heal wherever you get your podcasts.